This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. As concerns grow about the serious shortage of children's Tylenol in this country, Health Canada has taken what it calls an exceptional step by waiving certain labeling rules in order to import... It's a rate of fall for pediatric ICUs to be pushed to their limits. But with the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario at over 200% capacity and Toronto's overwhelmed sick kids hospital cancelling surgeries... The medical community is putting up the white flag. That's what it's been sounding like on Canadian news shows this week as the country's facing an unprecedented health care crisis impacting children. Top doctors in Ontario and Quebec and B.C. and Manitoba have all urged people to wear masks in public places to cope with the flood of very young patients coming in sick with RSV and the flu or COVID or even a combination. And it's happening way earlier than usual this year. Ironically, it's partly because of COVID safety measures in the past two years, and it's cutting a swath through classrooms. 20,000 students in Edmonton were homesick last Wednesday. A Toronto Jewish Day School reported 16 out of 21 students in one classroom were away sick. Meanwhile, exasperated parents seeking pain medication for their kids still find empty shelves in the pharmacy. And compounding it, doctors are now reporting a shortage of some antibiotics for children. It is a perfect storm in an already overburdened healthcare system, and Dr. Kevin Schwartz is right in the middle of it. He works at St. Joseph's Hospital in Toronto. He's an infectious diseases expert and a pediatrician. He recently published a study showing how wearing a mask during the early part of the pandemic significantly cut down cases of airborne illnesses, Seems like a no-brainer, people should wear masks. But Schwartz says it's not the only answer. There are other things that we can do, right? So um, wearing a mask can reduce transmission. Improving ventilation indoors can reduce transmission. Good hand hygiene, washing hands can reduce transmission. So there are some simple things that can be done uh, to reduce transmission. And I think more of an effort to try and um, get that awareness out there and get people to do those things, staying home when sick, is a very important thing to try and reduce the amount of spread in schools and other settings. I'm Ellen Bessner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, November the 16th, 2022. Welcome to the 301st episode of the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Okay, I don't have little kids anymore. Mine are all grown up and out of the house. But I remember when they used to get sick at this time of year and we made panic trips to the pharmacy for medicine. We begged the pharmacist to explain the doses and we spent sleepless nights watching our boys breathe and hoping we wouldn't have to scoop them up and rush them to the emergency ward, although we had to do that too. And with Canada now officially in a flu epidemic and hospitals overwhelmed, I can't imagine what parents of little kids are going through. So we thought we should break down why this is happening and what parents and caregivers should do about it and everyone else too. Coming up, Dr. Kevin Schwartz will be here with some answers right after this important message. Did you know April 2023 is Israel's 75th anniversary? 
In honor of this huge milestone, UJA Federation of Greater Toronto is planning an epic trip to Israel, and all of Canada is invited. Israel's anniversary, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is a one-of-a-kind experience. Streets are filled with parties, fireworks, music, and dancing. On UJA's Israel 75, you'll get to join the celebration. 75 is not a regular anniversary, and Israel 75 is not your typical trip. You'll get a truly unique experience of the country, no matter how many times you've been before. With 10 specialized tracks, you can create an itinerary that is totally personalized, whether you're a foodie, an adrenaline seeker, a TV buff, or politically minded. The best part? You can mix and match tracks on different days. Embark on a thrilling adventure one day and a culinary experience the next. Let your own interests be your guide and experience everything Israel has to offer. To learn more about the trip, visit UJAIsrael75.com. That's UJAIsrael75.com. And joining us now from Toronto is Dr. Kevin Schwartz. Welcome to the CJN Daily. Thanks for having me. Well, it's really good to have you here as we try to understand what is happening with the situation with children and getting sick in Canada and the situation in hospitals. You work at St. Joe's in Toronto, West End of Toronto. What are you seeing? I mean, there's certainly a lot of children uh, that are sick in the community with respiratory viruses. Um, The most frequent viruses are influenza A and RSV. And there's certainly lots of uh, children in the emergency room, as well as in the hospital with uh, those viruses. Now, some hospitals are reporting like 130, 140, 200 percent overcrowding. You've been practicing since you know 2011. How does this compare to what you've seen in your career? Yeah, I mean, you know, keep in mind every year there's always surges of RSV and respiratory viruses. Um, there are certainly differences this year. So one, the season is earlier uh, than uh, than most years and it's overlapping. So there are cases of COVID and there's influenza and RSV that are all overlapping. And it's in the context that more kids and more people are getting sick because we've had about two years where people were not getting infected with these respiratory viruses as we would normally see. And it's just there as a result, there are just more people getting sick all at once. That's compounded by a healthcare system that's under a lot of stress with healthcare workers that are tired and and hospitals and clinics are short-staffed. And so all of those things together are, are creating a bit of a problem. Are you saying, though, you just mentioned something that I want to pick up on because I'm not sure I understood it. You said because kids were at home for two years, they didn't develop the immunities that they would have normally done over time to these diseases when they went to daycare or whatever have you. So they all came to school and boom, everyone got it at the same time, as opposed to over the last years. That's basically what you're saying, right? That's one of the reasons we're seeing a surge in that. Yeah, exactly. So normally kids are exposed to RSV on a yearly basis. Pregnant women are exposed to RSV and then they transfer those antibodies to the young babies who get the most sick. So we haven't had any of that for two years, which which created this sort of, um, uh, you know, just higher severity and higher number of infections that we're seeing because more young babies are getting infected that don't have any immunity to be able to protect themselves. Well, it's not just that. There's no medicine on the shelves. I went yesterday to a shopper's drug mart. There's nothing for children's pain relief and fever relief. But we've been hearing about this for six months in the news. Parents are freaking out. Why did it take till now for this to get attention from somebody. Yeah, I mean, certainly the medication shortages are compounding uh, compounding the issue. I mean, 
there is a shortage, but there are medications available. So people should speak to their pharmacists and um, uh, there are ways of either compounding or using adult formulations safely. So there are ways to get fever medicines, although certainly um, there, there is a shortage. You know, I think it's, it's, it's a bit of our, how our healthcare system responds is until we're in times of real need and crisis, uh, we um, uh, are sometimes a bit slow to respond. And we often do not have huge capacities for surges in our healthcare system. It, it, it frequently runs at near 100% capacity for efficiency reasons. But then when we have a surge like this, we're not equipped to handle it. And that's compounded by the other staffing issues and other things that are, uh, you know, beyond a lot of the control. Should, you were mentioning about how there are solutions. Parents can go to some pharmacies and they can find solutions. But a lot of people are afraid. I would, I've been talking to parents like, I don't want to cut up this pill and put it in applesauce. And I go, what if I poison my kid, right? So uh, what do you say about that? What should they be doing? Yeah, parents should not be doing that on their own. I mean, they should be getting direction from their pharmacist and they can certainly help. So there are different options, chewable adult formulations, suppositories and, and, uh, and other options that... Any, any local pharmacist can absolutely help the parents for how to dose it and how to dose it safely. And that's key. I mean, you don't want to give a child too much Tylenol uh, or acetaminophen, which is really not safe. So um, uh, people should talk to their doctor or their local pharmacist and get that advice. Okay. And, um, you know, as a, as a pediatrician, part of the, I think most of the, the things, and this is from personal experience, most of the things pediatricians do is calm the parents down. Uh, and so, you know, as a parent... Um, you know, knowing the senior kid is sick and there's no medicine and, and you hear about these reports in the news, it's been really, really stressful. Uh, what are you telling? What are you hearing from parents? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that's probably true. Uh, you know, that, you know I, I think there's not, you know, people shouldn't feel that stress. There are medications, right? So, and there, there is a bit of a shortage, but like I said, there are alternatives. Um, you know, I think it's important that people realize like fever in itself is not dangerous, right? Fever is the body's response to an infection. It actually helps fight the infection. The reason we treat fever is because it's uncomfortable for kids. Um, and so it's not in and of itself dangerous. And the important thing is that if the child is unwell, you know, they're they're not eating or drinking or waking up or breathing properly, any of those things. That's when parents need to take the, their child to the doctor to be assessed. Um, but otherwise, you know, fever in and of itself is not a danger. And, and it's really the treatment is just for comfort for, for the child. You're an expert in antibiotic use, um, and that's your main main focus in the last recent couple of years is overuse or prescription of antibiotics. We should talk quickly before we end about the, the news that there was a shortage of um certain kinds of antibiotics. You're aware of that for kids' diseases like ear infections and what have you. What do you hear now? Is that still the case? Yeah, it is. There, There is a shortage of uh, multiple uh, antibiotics and, and in liquid formulations. I mean, I, you know, my, my first message would be that doctors and parents should just question and rethink, does the child actually need antibiotics, right? They, they don't work for viral infections. The vast majority of coughs and respiratory infections are caused by viruses. So what, what every child would need is an assessment by a doctor to see, are there bacterial complications? And even most of those, like ear infections, 
get better on their own. They do not, 80% of ear infections do not need antibiotics. So I think that's the number one message for people to hear. They need to really assess, does my child actually need antibiotics? And if they do, there are alternatives. If amoxicillin is not available, uh, which is the most common antibiotic that we would use. Um, but I think the, the key first step is just reassessing if we need to use that antibiotics. And we know that we overprescribe antibiotics to a great deal in primary care. Now, you're an expert in, in airborne viruses and masks, and, and you did a study with some colleagues that came out earlier this year about what things happened or didn't happen, what diseases happened, didn't happen during the early part of the pandemic. What is your feeling about the fact that the kids and everyone has no, have no mask mandates when they went back to school? I mean, it makes no sense to me that people would want to go without masks. And if it worked before, why would we just get rid of it? As a doctor, how do you, what are you saying, saying to, to the public about this? I would love to have no viruses. I think we need to be realistic about how we would actually do that and what that would take. I, I don't think anybody wants to live the way we've lived during the pandemic with no schools and no social interaction and not going to work and not seeing family and friends. Right? Like, obviously, that's not a sustainable thing. So it's it and it's and it's a bit. I just want to be clear that it's not as simple as masks. If only we wore masks, there would be no respiratory viruses. That's really not the case. It certainly is an effective measure that could reduce the chance of infection, but it's not a, you know, magic, you know, it's not a silver bullet for, um, for getting rid of respiratory viruses. So there are things that we can do from a public health perspective to decrease respiratory viruses. Vaccination is by far our best option and most important innovation to reduce or get rid of viruses. And, um, yeah, you know, there are vaccines in the pipeline for RSV, which has been very problematic. People have been working on it for 50 years, uh, mostly unsuccessfully. So hopefully the next round of vaccines might actually work for RSV. And that would be the strategy in the future. What are you seeing in terms of this news that Moderna is coming out with a three-pronged three -pronged virus uh, vaccine? RSV, correct me if I'm wrong, and COVID as well as the, the flu. You heard about that. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to seeing the data. I mean, we know we need to see what the, uh, what the data looks like and do they work and are they safe? And that needs to be evaluated rigorously. And then if it does, that would be very exciting. Why is Canada having this problem? Whereas in the States, Australia and elsewhere, these drugs and these over-the-counter drugs are widely available. Why is it a Canadian problem? Yeah, I don't know if it's an exclusively Canadian problem, but I think it's, uh, you know, the, the supply chains are tenuous for a lot of medical supplies. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I don't have insight into why we have a shortage of, of the Tylenol or amoxicillin right now. Um, but uh, my hope is that it doesn't last too much longer. I know the Canadian government was saying, and I, you commented that, you know, it's a good first step. You heard that they're, they're ordering a bunch, but this shouldn't have to happen. And so as a doctor, what do you want to see going forward? COVID didn't fix the system. It made it worse. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be important to have a bit more redundancy in our supply chains and, and access to essential medicines that are, you know, that, that we need in society. So uh, I would for sure advocate for that. And hopefully we can make improvements from this over time so that we don't have this issue again. How long is this going to last? What, how long are we going to have this situation? And when do you think it might alleviate yeah i mean i you know i don't have a crystal ball and, it, and it's a bit hard to predict just from the uncertainty of the last two years right with without the usual immunity that's in the population um but you know these these peaks of rsv and especially influenza are typically short um, um and um, but they 
can be bimodal, so you can get more than one peak through the season. Uh, but typically, I mean, they're, they're relatively short and uh, they peak and decrease. Now, how quickly that will happen is really, like I said, uncertain because of the last two years and, and uh, you know, and uh, we really don't have a good sense of what that immunity is, which really is what causes those, you know, peaks to go down. So I think we just need to take some extra precautions now because the uh, pediatric healthcare system is really quite stressed, uh, you know, help out that system to get it back to uh, at a more manageable level, uh, and then things should settle down. Can, can, do you think ch- young children as, and how young um, should they be getting flu vaccines this year? Absolutely. So everybody over six months of age should 100% be getting their flu vaccine. They should be getting it right now. Um, we are seeing a huge uptick in influenza A. So now is the time for everybody over six months to get an influenza vaccine. We know that especially if kids get their influenza vaccine, that prevents infections in adults and others. So, so it's important for older adults to get it for sure. Uh, but especially this year, I mean, really everybody should be going out and getting their influenza vaccine. Um, kids under nine who have never had a dose before need two doses, uh, but everybody should be getting their influenza vaccine. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJ and Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout out goes to Fran Gottesman of Toronto. And we're recording this episode just as Ottawa announced its ordered shipments of kids' fever and pain medication from Australia and the U.S so the drug companies can restock the shelves. The government didn't say when it'll all get here, just that it'll be in the coming weeks. If you would like to follow Dr. Schwartz on Twitter, we've put the link in our show notes. And if you want to share your opinion or your experiences, drop us a line. I'm at ebessner at the cjn.ca. Or find the story on the CJN Daily's Facebook and Instagram accounts and leave a reply. Thanks for listening. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.